Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. Thanks for listening. You can always find us at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sarah Blakemore. Coming up on the Gifted Life today. We'll be talking to a dad whose son's illness inspired innovation to address the challenges in communication during a transplant process. And we're going to learn two ways to build resilience. All right, lots to get to. Here we go, thegiftedlife.org. Here on the Gifted Life Podcast, we are honored to introduce you to Mr. Nick Jones. Welcome. Hi, thank you. We appreciate you joining us here on the Gifted Life Podcast. Remember, guys, thanks for listening and tell your friends you can listen to us at thegiftedlife.org. Nick, I want to start with you and your tie to donation and transplantation. Personal, right? Uh, pretty personal, pretty close to my heart, yes. All right. Tell us about Matthew. Okay. So uh, the story goes back a little way. Um my son, Matty, uh, had an extremely rare uh, kidney condition back in 2012, which uh, was initially um, initially diagnosed as a, a transitory condition, became apparent uh, a little while later, maybe, I think, September 2013, that it was actually um, a life-threatening condition, uh, which was causing his, his kidneys to fail, a condition called uh, dense deposit disease. Um, and that was without any treatment plan. There was no cure. There was no no outlook. It was just um, 50% of people within 10 years will need renal replacement therapy. And um, and the range within that was huge. Um, we found out about people within the UK with the similar condition. And uh, one, one young girl we met went from diagnosis to kidney failure in three weeks, I think it was, or very similar. So how old uh, was Matthew when this started happening? So he was 13 when he was diagnosed okay. uh, with this, with the correct diagnosis. Uh, so it, it really was a pretty shocking diagnosis. And um, we were we were all struggling to come to terms with it, really. And then what uh, was a, what was he uh, suffering? Any symptoms that, that you noticed that led you to that? Was it energy? Was it... What was it? So the first symptoms were were kind of classic kidney problems. Um, he had uh, swelling around his his eyes, his ankles, um, and gradually everywhere. In fact, by the end of uh, his first uh, bout of uh, symptoms, he was we called him the Michelin Man because he he was literally blown up everywhere. Uh, and he's normally a skinny boy, so <laughs> the transformation was was pretty drastic. Uh, of course, then he went through the, the classic symptoms of, of chronic kidney disease. He struggled with his blood pressure, struggled with his potassium levels, and later on with his phosphate levels. So his his diet has had to be very restricted for for many years, of course, uh, and really a lot of, a lot of his life was very restricted because he was he was lacking in in energy and um, just just lacking with life, really. Uh, you know, he, he didn't have the the energy or the <clears throat> life enthusiasm to, to live a normal teenage life. 
So um, I'm sorry. No, cut it out. So I was just going to ask, so so at what point for you guys did you realize it was serious enough to where you would have to make the big move from uh, England to United States? So um, 2016, we, we came to a, a family medical conference in Iowa City held by a, a great doctor called Richard Smith. Um, we heard about Richard and his team through one of the other families in the UK. Um, but Richard has become the, the world leading center for this disease because his own daughter has had the disease for 25 years. Um, and with it being a, a disease without, without cure, without treatment plans, um, th there were some treatments which were peripherally effective. Um, a drug called Eculizumab or, or Solaris, I think it's called in the States, is partially effective, but it's extremely expensive uh, and, and not generally available. But there's, there were no other, uh, no other effective treatment plans. So we came across with the conference anyway, and we were blown away by the team. Uh, and we decided that, hey, nobody has any better chance of getting on top of this condition than Richard and his team. Um, and we decided we just had to be here for Matt. Um, so we we went through some kind of lengthy and expensive immigration processes in uh, March 2017. Uh, we arrived in Iowa City, um, and that was that was really the start of a, a new phase of our journey. And we were kind of closer to the end of that phase than we we realised because. We, we were at that stage trying to, to fight to keep Matty's kidneys. You know, we, we thought with, with the right treatment, hopefully we could uh, either retain his, his kidneys long-term or at least put off the, uh, the inevitable kidney failure. Uh, but that was not to be, in fact, actually, Matt went into kidney failure faster than we expected. Um, and by the end of 2017, he was on dialysis. Uh, which was kind of a shock, kind of disruptive, but uh, the support we got here was fantastic. Um, the, the people were were awesome, so uh, <clears throat> we knew we done the right, we had done the right thing. Um, and it, as I said, it was round about um, a year later. Matty was on dialysis for thirteen months. That I started working with the Omni Life team. Um, and that was just, that was, that was October 2018, and the end of November 2018, Matty had the gift of life, and he had a uh, kidney transplant from a, a local donor. So, uh, so, so, you know, I, I had spoken to uh, Dalton, Dalton Shaw, uh, I think he's the CEO there at, at Omni Life, probably, I guess, around that time frame, I'm just thinking about it, and and it's... You know, I know, not to get into his story too much, but because I, I can't retell it like he could. But I know he also had connections to donation and, and transplantation. In fact, uh, he he had gotten a, a tissue transplant, and he had that passion. I remember that uh, he was looking to be innovative in in, a, in the field and and just help the the donation and transplantation process. So, so that's kind of a little bit of the backstory, and we'll get in, into a little bit more in a second. But okay. so you so. So here's Maddie, and 
and you know he's he's on dialysis on dialysis for for months and months it must have been frustrating i guess for for you guys to 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 just sit there and know that you know that his time may not be uh anytime soon what was that like for you guys as far as from the waiting proce uh, process well i mean i think we were we're probably fairly unusual in that because we we had we were split two ways we had two drivers uh, obviously we <clears throat> on one side we wanted to get um matthew the best treatment and, and ultimately that that was going to be a transplant but at the same time we we had a a cross-cutting driver which was that he has a autoimmune condition as of the underlying disease uh, and we were obviously concerned about recurrence um, and, and there are there are and have been a number of drug trials going on so we were kind of well as long as that's okay actually we we will hang on to dialysis as long as we need to as long as he can deal with it um, and give some of these drug trials a chance to come to fruition now as it happened he he didn't thrive on dialysis um, he he was struggling he was gradually losing weight he was gradually deteriorating in, in many ways so we had to uh, yeah we had to curtail any thoughts of, of hanging on um, so in the end we were just uh, yes please we need a, a donation as, as soon as possible um, and thankfully that that came pretty quickly compared to a lot of people I mean I said Matthew was on dialysis 13 months I know a lot of people have to wait very much longer than that uh, so we, we know we were we were lucky in that respect so so all in that time frame so you you, you know of course like you mentioned you kind of a two-pronged approach where you were leaning on you know some medications and and a regimen that way but then knowing that you know that donation and transplant was pr another very real possibility and you you mentioned that you had gotten involved with omni life so what what was the introduction there and and your understanding and and what got you interested in 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 omni life and if you could tell us a little bit about omni life itself yeah okay I, i'll re rewind a little bit because i think it's relevant uh, but I'll, i'll keep it brief uh, so my background uh throughout my my career has been in it and and in the last probably 15 20 years has been in healthcare it so one of the things i did when we had matty's diagnosis in the uk was uh, i reached out and, and volunteered to the uk renal registry um, and, and i've done a lot of work with them helped them to build a a new uh, renal repository uh, of data from around the country so they can do secondary analysis and, and research uh, and it, it was kind of really fortunate that my background had been in, in large-scale national IT um, I'd, I'd worked a lot on the National Health Service so I was well placed to help them um, and when I came to the States I was I was kind of more working in in big IT projects but I was introduced to to Dalton and Eric very early on because of a common cause uh, and I, we talked periodically over a period of time uh, and then by the end of 18 they were they were really looking to to ramp up their their approach to the problem and, and really getting to a more serious 
um, operation, um, which required more more serious IT approach. So, uh, as it happened, I was becoming free from some of my obligations. So I agreed to to help them um, to you know take this step big step forward and start to help with the improving the efficiencies of of the whole transplant process. Uh, initially, at that time, it was really all about communication, improving communication at the at the point of transplant. But since then, we've we've gone on to uh, address the problem in a wider way. So more about collaboration and, and communication and and helping people who are performing on the uh, on the transplant front, the OPOs, um, that whole myriad of people they, they need to talk to and the transplant centres to help that work much more efficiently. Uh, and it's early days, but we're really excited that we can make a difference here uh, because I know from my, my background in, in large-scale IT that communicating across organisations with sensitive data is, is, is very hard. Uh, we I've spent a lot of time doing that in the past and I come to the United States and of course everywhere is so siloed uh, still and there's, there's a lot of drivers against that communication but if, if we want to make a difference in improving effective communication then then we really do need to break down those barriers and we need to get people from um, an OPO in Iowa talking to transplant centers around the country and sharing data um, safely and appropriately but sharing what they need to share uh, in a timely way so I, I'm very excited for the way that this is moving forward yeah and and for those listeners out there you know so so one of the challenges and you talked about sharing sensitive data across different platforms across different you know um, you know organizations is a huge challenge for us of course trying to maintain our HIPAA compliance you know so that we don't uh, have sensitive data someone's health information just you know kind of taken stolen you know or, or whatever you know we have to have secure means to be able to 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 you know have this communication and that has been a huge challenge for us in the OPO world and, and in donation and transplant and of course we have DonorNet which which is you know the you know which is our database that we that we you know put all the information in and it's a secure database and it has the donor's information it has recipient information and we connect that way but to have a more streamlined means of communication that's still HIPAA compliant and secure is such a big deal it's such a challenge because because time is 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 life you know yeah. for us time is life and and oftentimes if we have to go through a cumbersome process to communicate and and we only have a few hours to do so and you go from one transplant center and then you communicate and then you do another it would you know the the what you guys are creating and have created and are creating is is such an innovation that is you know I'm hoping that is going to make huge advancements in uh, you know having an app and if I can get into it just a, a little bit as far as what I understand it you know being able to have a, a HIPAA compliant application that that allows for texting across 
entities across organizations and uh, allows for sharing of different health, uh, sensitive health information, you know, that that someone can make a decision about uh, a a viable organ for their particular patient. And, you know, as as an example, in a timely manner, each each time we share it, each time we have a conversation or communication with a, a different group. You know, if if it's 10 extra minutes each time, you're talking about hours and hours over the period of a case. And like I said, time is life. So so for you guys to be able to see that as a, you know, in Dalton, uh, I definitely applaud he and Eric and to see that as as a, you know, something to address. But you to take, you know, the passion that you had for donation through your son's challenges and then work, you know, with with them on this is is just amazing, and I applaud you. And if I can just get kind of your takes on that. No, we we, we realize how the potential this has to to do good, and as I said, we're, we're really excited by it. The, the challenges, really, the technical challenges are, are are all solvable. I mean, really, the solutions are are out there for the, the bits and pieces. It's bringing it together uh, as a whole solution, which is, which is hard, and that's down to um, trust and people uh, and engaging with people to, to bring out the sufficient value that they're able to and prepared to take that step to go through the processes we need to go through to, to share data safely. And implementing any software anywhere is, a, is an expensive challenge for an organization. Um, when you have to implement it across several organizations, it becomes that much harder. But once we once we really get the ball rolling, um, this is all all highly possible, and it becomes it's a rolling stone. It, it will it will gather pace as it goes downhill. When I was working with the UK Renal Registry, well, I, actually, I still do some work with them, but I've pretty much stopped that now. But we take renal data from seventy different UK um, renal organizations into a central data repository. Uh, and that happens slowly at first. But once you get the first few organizations to, to send that data in and, and become more trusting of the system, then barriers drop, barriers fall away because, hey, we can see this happening. We can see the benefits of it happening. Uh, and all of a sudden, some of those, those barriers can fall away. And things happen a lot faster. Now, unfortunately, we've got we've got many barriers to overcome because uh, you know we can share a subset of data now, pretty much now across some organisations. We really need to link into the EHRs to get the get the data for the donor from the source, and we need to feed into um, donor. In in fact, the whole infrastructure from donor EHR to transplant centre EHR and donor net seems needs to be seamless it mm-hmm. needs to be seen as one thing right. whether it literally is or, or isn't uh, is kind of irrelevant but it to the people using the system that needs to be a single information uh, source and it needs to flow seamlessly and quickly um, and that that can happen but it's that it's bringing all those people together uh, everybody knows how hard it is to integrate with an ehr uh, and, and again i'll just reiterate that isn't technical that that's getting the the people who own, who are in, in charge of information governance in the hospital to, to let go, um, <clears throat> and it's thereafter very easy to take feeds of labs 
or any other patient data. Uh, all, all, all EHRs emit data, they, they allow feeds to be taken. So this is all doable technically, but building it into, into the full system that we need to provide uh, is, is going to be a challenge. But we're starting with a very useful um, central piece of that equation. And, and we can dream on as to uh, how big this can get. I love the imagination that, that you guys have and the for, foresight that, uh, you know, because I was thinking, you know, as I think of it, it's it's got boundaries. And, and you saw you see a, such a, a, a larger scale for this that and if if it's and like you said, it's something that can be done to be able to what I'm visioning, you know, is is to be able to have this application that that automatically taps into the health records of, of a patient and and then you can upload it here you can view it here and we can share that seamlessly with you know the, those who make decisions on the transplant side the 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 amount of time and I, I know I've said it a couple of times but the amount of time that this would save and the amount of the increased amount of lives that it would save I, I can't even imagine it's uh, it's even difficult for me to even put a perspective on it, how, how much impact that's going to be. Right. And particularly for you, you know, your son was part of that process, part of that transplantation process. So how is he doing? How's Matthew doing? He, he's doing really well. Um, he's, um, where are we now? Uh, eight, nine, sorry, I can't count, 21 months post-transplant. Um, and he he's becoming a much more normal 19 year old boy which means he can be a pain in the backside sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so normal <laughs> so, so so normal yes uh he is uh in every way he's grown so much uh he, he's physically grown he's, he's matured uh, as a person and he, he's bulked up from when he was a, a renal patient he was you know as he's very typical he was he was skinny and um you know, not not so, not so well, not so well uh, developed. But with, with time, but particularly with the transplant, he's he's grown physically. He's he's grown to a, a much more confident person, and and socially, he's growing a lot as well. Although now is not a great time for that. Um, he, he's in college now, in community college, uh, and he's looking to move out to a, a shared flat sometime in the next uh, few months, which is very scary for mum and dad. Mm. Um, <laughs> with, it would be anyway, but with COVID around, it's it's really scary. Oh. Uh, but it, that that's a great sign of his growth, yeah. um, and he, he he's doing he's doing fantastically well. He's he's sleeping way too much, but <laughs> <laughs> who isn't Nick? Okay, uh, but yes, I was just true. thinking about these huge moves and these uh, huge decisions uh, by the family, and um, all because you love you know. Your family and you want to keep them together um so when you reflect on that when you look back like oh my gosh over these last couple of years look at the steps we've taken uh what, what do you think about this journey well it, it was frankly crazy <laughs> <laughs> we we decided october end of october 16 we, we wanted to come to the states and march 17 we were here um we we kind of jumped out of the plane and built the parachute as we came down <laughs> um but it's all, you know, it, it's all turning out very well for the and, and for the best. We we became permanent residents two weeks ago, so we've oh. kind of 
completed that that landing <laughs> of wow. that journey. Okay. That's been a long journey, but uh, we've achieved that. Um, Matty's in college now. He, he's he's post transplant. He's non recurrent with his original disease. So whilst we're watching the um, we're watching the drug trials with, with uh, a lot of interest, we, we don't need to uh, worry about them too closely just yet. And and our daughter who who was 18 when we came across i'll be honest a little bit lost for a while it is now in a a long-term relationship and has just uh, had her first child Aww. so congrats so many You're things are, are coming together <laughs> i'm a grandpa yes oh i love that I, lo- I love your story and i love that you uh, take the time to share it i know folks will want to um, look up your the company that you're with it's get omnilife.com get omnilife.com and nick we hope that you continue to check in with the gifted life and let us know about these advances uh, uh, um i was getting nervous because joey was excited about what's what's <laughs> to come and what's possible um and your vision and so we just appreciate that oh thank you very much for calling all right thank you for joining us here on the gifted life Taking a moment for mental health here on The Gifted Life. Yeah, what are we going to talk about today, Miss Sarah? All right, so who's stressed right now? Hey, everyone. <laughs> who's not? Let's. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly yeah. my point. We're all very stressed out. Um, there's a global pandemic going on. It's an election year in America. Um, and there's a lot of social unrest. So it's a very stressful time, right? Yep. Right. So how do we combat that? We're going to build some resilience today. So what is resilience? Resilience is our ability to recover from stress quickly. So that's the main point is quickly. Um, Since we all have a lot of stress in our life, we need these skills. We need to be able to bounce back. And that's really what resilience means is bouncing back. So mine usually starts at about 530 to 6 with a whiskey drink. That's immediate de-stressor. Is that that a PM? So that's a coping skill. (laughs) Okay. We're talking about resilience. Get it together. (laughs) Um, So... The main thing about resilience to know is that it can be built on and it can be strengthened. It's Some people do have this innate ability to bounce back and to be resilient, but it's something you can learn and it's something that you can grow. So that's the main thing. You know, you hear a lot of people, they're just so strong. You have to work at it, right? You have to work on your ability to cope with stress. So let's learn two ways to do that. So the first thing you can do is increase your positive emotions. That sounds kind of obvious, right? And that it's easier said than done, but really what I want to focus on is increasing your access to things that are positive. So media can be difficult and social media particularly can be difficult. So increase your access to that content that's feel good. Mm-hmm. So those authentic people, those um upworthy accounts, stuff like that, because it really does make you feel better. And those positive things, they really help. And they increase your ability to look at the world in a positive way. Or I just put the phone down. Like, just put the phone down. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the second component is decreasing yeah. your access to negative content. Yeah. So putting the phone down, turning off the news for a minute, putting on a feel-good show, like, I don't know, Parks and Rec, you know, something mm-hmm. like that that's a feel-good 
it will increase your positive emotions. I'll, re- I'll rewatch some of the LSU uh, games from last year. That's right. Oh, man, that was so exciting. <laughs> Go Tigers. That's one of those things that I'll mm-hmm. do. But but one of the other things, really, I notice myself quite often listening and watching media, whether it's social media or, or mass media, uh, that, so much less. Like I, I, because everything on it right now, to me, feels like it's negative. And they, sh- they put the little... One minute uh, clip at the at the end, a little feel good thing in it, but the other not yeah. twenty nine minutes, you know, it's it's, it's stressful. stressful. It is. So and uh, instead on top of, of everything else, you know, going instead on in, of a, in a your glass world. of wine, watching you know <laughs> the news at from five thirty to six, I'll go sit outside, you know, watch ducks and and things like that. And, and it my makes dogs. you feel good. It increases mm-hmm. this positive, which will increase your resilience to stress. So we know that stress is going to happen regardless. We live in a stressful world. It's a stressful time. But if we increase our access to things that make you feel good, it'll help increase your resilience. So that's the first part. Um, The second little skill I want to talk about is positive reframing of stressors. So we have ways to deal with stress. Mm -hmm. And then we have ways we think about stress. Mm -hmm. So one example could be you're driving on the way to work and there's traffic you can get really upset and really stressed out really fast challenge yourself to reframe that stressor as this is a good time for me to reflect right now I have 30 minutes on my own you can turn the radio off and just be with yourself reframing the way you think about things that stress you out will help you deal with it better this week I had to say just smile like just Try smiling. We're going to turn this around. Um, And then with the social distance, I'm having trouble with that. And I'm going to smile, right? So you'll know, like, hey, I'm friendly. Yay. Hope you have a good day. And then I have the mask on. Yep. So I'm like, this is more stressful now. (laughs) You can smile with your eyes. People recognize it. But yeah. Right, right, right. I know. Uh, But trying. And I I like to jam out in the car. That's my calm down. Well, and and that reframes. I'm for you good. and your breath and your brain that reframes that stressor of yeah. this is a stressful time, but I'm going to take this time I have right now to do something that makes me feel good or to listen to good music. Mm-hmm. Um, a really good tip um, is when something is stressing you out, think how big of a deal will this be in an hour and right. yeah. a day and yeah. a week. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the car and there's jam packed traffic, how big of a deal would this be in an hour? not a big deal because you're where you need to be right Mm -hmm. so it's a good way to reframe that stress i don't know why i use six but so i use the six hours six days six months or six years Mm -hmm. that's like if if i have some issue i think okay is this going to be an issue yes it's still going to be an issue in six hours or six days but in six i won't feel as passionately about it maybe (laughs) yeah yeah this too shall pass so you're already doing it you're reframing those stressful things and it'll help you cope and stress, and that's really what resilience is, is bouncing back. I like it. We all could use that lesson, huh? Uh, maybe you have a topic you want Miss Sarah to cover, info at thegiftedlife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Since this episode is all about technology and organ donation and transplantation, we've got a question that's very closely related, and this one's for you, Lori. This one comes from a listener. Are there any apps that allow you to sign up to be an organ or tissue donor. 
There's an app for that. Is there? <laughs> oh, I was hoping to say that. Yeah, I got an app. Okay, there's an app for that. Um, so if you have an iPhone, I know our Android friends are like, oh, where's mine? Not yet, but it's coming, right? Um, but on your iPhone, you go to the health app. So on mine, it's just a white square with a little red heart on there, which in Louisiana, we get a little red heart if you sign up to be a donor. So I like that. Under the summary, if you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see where you can register as an organ, tissue, and eye donor through Donate Life. So it goes to our national registry, which is registerme.org. Um, so if you don't have an iPhone, if you're an Android friend, which is okay, we still like you. Kirsten, I'm talking to you. <laughs> She's a, a producer on our podcast. Uh, but registerme.org, um, you can go there and sign up. It's a quick process, and you're just saying that you want to help make life happen if you can. So we appreciate the question. Um, it's easy. It takes two seconds on the iPhone. I went through it again just to make sure. Um, but I like the question, and I hope that you register today. Yeah, I've done it. It's really easy and yeah. quick. So if we can do it, it well, <laughs> you can do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, great question. If y'all have a question for us, give us a call at 504 648 3477. In every episode of the Gifted Life podcast, we honor a hero. Today's hero is Kai Law. We learn about Kai Law from his parents. This is our son, Kai Marshall Law. He will forever be two years old. He passed away in March of 2019, and the loss of our son has been very, very hard. It was sudden and a true tragedy. I share my son's story in a lot of ways. Kai has helped so many people and saved so many lives already. Kai passed away due to an accidental drowning. In memory of him, we created a foundation called swim for Kai. We raise money in our community by stressing the importance of water safety. We have fundraisers that help us do this. We were able to donate $7,000 to a local gym in our area and 47 children received free swim lessons. Not only is Kai helping save lives in this way, but my husband and I decided to help in another way. We donated what we could of Kai's organs, his heart valves and both his corneas. I received a letter about three weeks after Kai's passing that two people were given sight again through Kai's corneas. I know one is an eight-year-old and the other is a 20-year-old female that we hope to meet one day. I miss my son beyond words. It hurts every day, but I know my heart would feel so happy if I could just hug you, whoever you are. You are seeing through my son's eyes and that has been the greatest gift in the world. I know our little boy is going to keep living on through us and everyone he touches through donation. Thank you, Kai's mommy and daddy. At this time, we pause and say thank you to Kai for the gift of life. The Gifted Life, episode 146 in the books. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, tell your friends. You can find us, thegiftedlife.org. Thanks to uh, Nick Jones for coming on. Of course, you've got a battle of the two greatest uh, accents in the world, a Cajun and, a, and an English. <laughs> right. I'll throw Australian and Jamaica there, just, you know. <laughs> Uh, but but for sharing his story and, and, of course, Maddie's story. And then, of course. Incredible him becoming more involved in, in the donation process, helping us to tackle some of those challenges that we see day to day. I'm curious to see what he's got in store next. 
Oh, yeah. I, I'm excited, right? right? What's happening tomorrow? I love it, and I think he's going to be on the forefront. Um, hopefully, we inspired you to register as an organ, tissue, and eye donor. Remember, you can do that anytime. Registerme.org. And you can listen to us anywhere you like to listen to your podcasts, whether it's Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you do listen on Apple, go ahead and subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find our podcast. And thank you for listening again. Please spread the word. We're one big team. And we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. It all counts. Have a great one. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 